one technology ladies and gentlemen is what is changing and along with it you got to make sure you map your corporate strategy to go with the trends that's what this show's episode is all about so let's get this one going here we go shut up and sit down look a business can give you everything you want in life prestige wealth freedom it can also take everything away from you this show is for those who are willing to take that risk these are the real life stories of entrepreneurs. But before we start, I have one small favor to ask. Please leave a comment. It could be advice, critiques, tips, feedback, or share this with someone because your engagement is the most valuable and most powerful form of social currency. So thank you, and welcome to another episode of Business Bros. Business Bros, you ready to dive into a conversation that's all about shaping a better future for our planet and its inhabitants? Today, we have an exceptional guest who's truly passionate about social and environmental change, technology, and corporate strategy. Imagine a world where technology powers uh, power sustainability and where corporations evolve faster than ever before to meet the challenges of a modern age. Our guest today is an optimist, a doer, someone who is actively working towards creating positive change. They'll be sharing insights on how technology, innovation, and strategic thinking can make a real difference. So get ready to be inspired and informed as we explore the intersection of technology and positive impact. Let's welcome to the show, Renan Divaneri. Renan, welcome to the program. Let's do this. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. All right, my friend. Um, let's let's dive into this. Uh, your bio has a lot to do with uh, being passionate about social and environmental change. Share with me what your pivotal moment was in your journey that inspired you to focus on pressing global issues. I mean, it could have been anything that you could have got into. Why this? So I was 20 eight years old, something like that. And I was in Switzerland. I was a high-flying organizational consultant, had a lot of money and working for a luxury brand. And then in two months period, half of my family uh, passed away. Half of my family said, look, you have to care about the family right now. And so I went and cared for my family for three months. And so I went from high flying job and everything to having to take care of that kind of situation. And when, when I went back to my old job, I said, but what the heck am I doing here? Like, mm. What am I doing with my days? And so this is the precise moment where I said, okay, life's too short, even if I was 28. And I said, okay, what truly matters? Like, where do I want to be when I'm 60, 70, 80 years old? When I look back in my life, what do I want? And the answer was not a flashy car and working in Switzerland. The answer was having made a difference. And so I quit my very high paying job and I created my first tech startup in Brazil to give jobs to people in favelas. That is crazy. So first of all, you're dealing with mortality in a way that you never thought was going to happen. Um, yeah. You, it, it gave you a completely different perspective. 
Um, I mean, I'm, I'm 41 right now, and you got a class of a bunch of 17-year-old kids that, honestly, for them right now, they're invincible. Like, there's nothing that can stop them, and that's cool. That's the confidence that they need at this age, and that's great. But you got hit with a big brick wall that drastically changed your life. I, I mean, walk me through that mentality. What was going on where it, you you had to shift from flashy to survival? Yeah, I mean, as you said, I thought I was invincible. And in retrospect, I thought that there was only that to life, which is kind of sad when you think about it. So it's, it was all about having that next promotion, having uh, like some respectability and those kind of jobs. But when it hit me that there is an end and we have some time and it's very precious and you should do your best for each day to matter, then that was the switch. And when that switch is on, there's no going back. And so I had to do something else. And the mentality really shifted. And where I was lucky enough is that I, I had an excellent education. I was an engineer. I still am. Um, I, I knew tech because I was, I was working like in tech as a hobby. And so I knew that there was that way to make a massive difference and leveraging tech and that that was what was important. And so I started that social business uh, in Brazil. And the last thing is, I was fortunately not in survival mode. I was in giving back mode instantly. I wanted to give back and I wanted to have an impact. And so at the end of the day, that, that's what mattered. And after that first, after that first startup that I ended up selling to, uh, to a venture fund, uh, that was another story, and making a lot more money than I could have done at my first job. Um, I said, okay, what matters really? And only two questions matter. One is climate change and the other is social, like giving opportunity to people. And so when you have that prism and you say that this is what matters, then you can start doing and trying to do things that matter. And the way to do things that matter at scale, it's technology. Like if you want to scale, it has to be technology. And so, yeah, that's how I ended up there. I always find it uh, fascinating when I talk to an entrepreneur and they've reached a level of success in their career and then they, they kind of go, okay, well, I have all the toys. Um, I have all, all the things that I've wanted to achieve. Now what really matters is X, Y, Z. And I feel like uh, I'm going to ask you kind of this uh, in hindsight. Had you not achieved the toys and the shiny objects that you've, that you've achieved, would you even consider the other aspect of life? Like, I feel like for all the people that I've interviewed, they all, they, the ones that are really successful are always like, oh, the money doesn't matter, whatever. But it's because you got there, right? Like, it's because you've tasted it and you're like, okay, now that I have it, I realize that it's not as important. Do you think without getting to that point that you would have shifted to a more social, uh, more purpose-driven uh, idea or do you think that's kind of the pathway that you have to take i think i think it's all about the maslow pyramid you know if you are in survival mode and asking yourself where your next paycheck is going to come from there's no grander purpose that you can think about there's just not uh 
but higher in the Maslow pyramid, when you achieve that, then you instantly switch and it doesn't matter anymore. But it doesn't matter because you have it, right? Right. So, <laughs> so first, true. you need to do that. And it's, it's for example, a major, major concern with um, the old economies that are rising, India, China, Africa. The entrepreneurs who made it, they're concerned about social and environmental. But most people are not at that, in that place yet. They need first to attain a certain level of not being in survival mode and having some comfort. And then they can think about the grander picture, which is expected. And so it's going to come. Fair, fair. All right, let's talk about actual making change now. So you've achieved the, the financial aspect of life that you wanted to, you've shifted, and now you have a, a, a more driven purpose that, that's pushing you there. Um, the world is is rapidly growing, over 7 billion people on the planet and growing. Um, we have environmental concerns like crazy. How, how can technology play a role in achieving a sustainable balance between human needs, but again, planet resources? So let me, let me tell you a story. In the year 1870, I think, something like that, some guy wrote a book. And the book was, look, London is too big as a city. And we have to shrink London because if London keeps growing, there will be so many horses that you just drown in the feces of the horses. Yeah. And so... Technology is a mean, like there's no technology per se, but technology and current level of advancement of the, of the technology is the bar that makes some things possible and some things are not possible. And so now London is way bigger because there's no horses anymore. And so let's look at it that way. If we achieve nuclear fusion and there's 10 times more energy for 10 times cheaper. And AI does most of the repetitive intellectual work that is today done by a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Then we can invent another world where we do other things as humans and the limits are pushed. When Elon Musk says that we need to become interplanetary as a species, that's what he's talking about, like pushing the limits of what we can do as, as a species. And the second that you fall behind on technology and technology is not pushing hard enough and fast enough, you get constrained. And when there are a lot of people in a constrained environment with less and less access to basic needs, not a good place. Yeah, and, and I'll give you that. that I, I understand where you're coming from, especially when it comes to... Um, like giving or getting energy at a lower cost and giving it to a lot more people. But at the same time, there are a lot of inequalities in, in just like the haves and the have nots, for example. Right. How, how do you see technology addressing some of these glo global inequalities when it comes to people? Well, technology anyways, when it comes to people who don't have the resources to take advantage of the lower cost energies or those types of things, how, how does it kind of help, balance that inequality so um today any of the students that you have in class in your class they are living a level of wealth that the king of france 
had not access to in the 16th. And so in the grand scheme of things, technology is giving us unthinkable amount of wealth. In the short term, there are a lot of inequalities because technology starts expensive. And so rich and few people have access to. And then it becomes democratized. The, 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 the cell phone, the smartphone that you have in your pocket is more powerful than the computer that was used by NASA to send the first rocket on the moon. And it is in 30 years time. Mm. And so there is that growing question, which is, can we reduce inequalities in the short term frame? But what's absolutely certain is that technology in the longer time frame is the only driver to push wealth and to push like happiness for everybody. So I would say that, and this is a very Silicon Valley thing to say, and sorry for that. I'm less concerned about short term. I'm more looking at the midterm. Fair, fair. Okay, I'll give you that. But I'll, I'll, I'll kind of push back a little bit. Um, AI is on the rise right now. And yeah. when it comes to the short term, there's a lot of people who are kind of toying with it, myself included, kind of playing with some of the cool stuff that's available, but not really implementing it uh, in, at, a, at a large scale into, into my own business ventures, right? I kind of toy with it, take little pieces that can help me out. There are some companies that are definitely implementing, and when they implement at a larger scale, it's getting rid of some of those current jobs, like you said, in the short term. Um, and I feel like it's designed to help make humanity, uh, make life easier for humans, but in the short term, it's going to take up some current jobs in the long term. Now we have to train people to use some of these technologies in place. Um, what, what's your opinion on the rise of AI and how individuals can prepare for a future where AI might render their job obsolete? So... The first most obvious answer is that AI is probably more important than the internet and it's going to change everything. It's going to automate so many jobs away and the average workforce in 30 years is going to be totally different from the workforce today. That's for sure. And so in the short term, knowing that a lot of jobs will be destroyed by AI and everything, um, it's a... It's a social fabric question. It's a social construct question. And so it should be dealt with, with politics. And this is not really a technologist's opinion that should matter. It should be something like that. So if you look at the previous industrial revolution, about 40% of all jobs got destroyed. Um, that's when, like, when electricity and oil came and people were not doing physical jobs anymore. And so we invented marketing, we invented uh, like creative industries and everything. I don't know the industries that will be created post AI, but there will be new industries created post AI. And so what I would say to people wanting to prepare for that is one, get organized and know that politics matter. And so you have to organize for that. And if we say that 40% of jobs are going to be destroyed, what do we do? The second thing that I would say is very probably uh, the new jobs require skills that don't exist yet or haven't been really identified yet. And so we are entering a world where the average 
the average worker will do like 10 jobs, uh, 10 very different jobs. And so having to learn in like as a constant, even when you're out of class, having to upskill, having to be on the lookout for what's new and what you can do. And this has been the way to, like in tech, in technology, your skills become obsolete in like four, five years. Uh, the company I sold uh, four years ago would not be sold today because the technology was AI, but AI is not the same anymore. And so it all changed very fast. So the main skill is learning to learn and adapt. I agree with you. Education is the key here. Even though a lot of the AI technologies are going to be evolving, there are unintended consequences. You heard Elon Musk talking about it a while back about you need to be cautious with this whole AI thing. And I like your approach to it as well. You just don't know what industries are going to be created as a result of what is developing. You just don't know yet, but you can prepare yourself by being in that space and educating yourself on what is, what is available. Um, Everybody who comes on the show is usually promoting something, something that they have going on. And I want to make sure I get you that, that as well. Um, if you could explain it as simply as you could to uh, a, a kid in grade school, what is it that you're selling? What do you do as far as a, a business function? So um, I'm the CEO and co-founder of OSS Ventures. And OSS Ventures is an investment firm. So we invest in startups wanting to change the world of operations. Um, and so it has to be social and or environmental. And so we've backed 19 companies in three years and a half. And uh, a little over 400 people are working in those companies. Uh, they are building or building with uh, 1,200 operational sites. So my main message is if you're young and full of dreams and you want to work in tech and make a difference, then apply to OSS Ventures and let's see if we can build something together. That's awesome. So what, what's the difference, by the way, um, for, for kids that are out there, they, they probably don't quite understand what, what you do exactly. Um, one of the best ways for me to explain it is, you know that show Shark Tank? <laughs> what's the difference between uh, a Shark Tank and what you're doing as, as, uh, as the fun that you put together? What, like, you know, kind of give me a comparison and so, how you're similar and how you're different. So we are similar in that we invest in companies. We are very different in that we invest way earlier. We don't need proof of traction and we invest in big ideas and then we put everything we can into doing it and changing it. Let's, let me take an example. We are currently backing a founder who said, my goal is for waste to not exist anymore. And so my goal is 100% of everything that is produced by factories and everything. It goes back in the economy and nobody gets dumped in a trash can. Hmm. and that's he's technology for that he's uh, starting to get a lot of traction in Europe and so that's the kind of things that we do and, and some of those are very ambitious and, and you know it's, it's funny because oftentimes you see it on Shark Tank and it's subtle when it's on the show but at the same time you see it over and over again with angel investors and venture capitalists uh, they, they, they have an idea that they want to invest in, but more so they invest in the founder themselves and the person who's kind of at the wheel driving this idea and this concept. When you're evaluating some of these companies or you're evaluating some of these ideas, what are some of those key factors that you're looking in that will open up your wallet and say, this is where I want to put my financial backing and my support behind? So 
there are three main things that we look when we invest. And those are the founder, the founder, and the founder. <laughs> and uh, my favorite type of founder is what we call PSD. Poor, smart, and driven. Mm. So that's what we look for. We look for someone who made his or her life mission to solve something big. Um, is not afraid to go for it with all they have and, uh, and know that it's a five to 10 years journey, but the results and what the impact that it can have of the world on the world is outsized. And so we actively look for those profiles and we, we give them quite substantial amount of money and help. And, uh, yeah, some of those companies are starting to get big. Yeah, they're, they're definitely growing. And I want to ask you like your perspective as you've as you've been a VC for a while, you've, you've kind of uh, invested in different companies with different global ideas. How do you like, how's that affected your journey? What, what are some success stories that you've seen um, that have made real impact because of the opportunity that you've been able to provide? So let me take an example. Um, the company is called Mercatim. Um, and marketing two years and a half ago, they went and they said, look, we want to be better than, than Harvard, but for people who are workers in factories who have zero training and nobody gives a bat about them. Mm. And we are talking about several hundreds of millions of people. Right? And that was their big idea. So we gave them some money and we, we hooked them with a, a part of my team with designers, coders, and everything. And uh, we did the first product in four months. And it was a way for people to say, this guy knows how to do this, and this girl knows how to do this, and everything, and kind of organized operations. And they, they have grown to a full suit for people to learn about their job and be very proud of their job and say, I am able to do that. I mean, I'm going to teach you how to do that and everything. And today, um, they passed the mark of... 50,000 people who are engaged weekly in creating new skills and being proud of what they do. We are talking about a population that is that was not proud. Like you're not like you know, we tell to kids if you don't do well at school, you're going to work in a factory. And that's kind of a punishment, but it is not like what's in the new world anyway. It is very you should be very proud to be making stuff that matters in a factory and be very good at your job and be able to do things and create and build those things that are very important. And so we are talking about like two guys in the closet and less than three years after that, they are changing a little part, but an important one of the life of 50K people who were left out and now they are in the spotlight and being taught great things and being seen as teachers because they know things. And so that, that's the kind of things that we want to do here. How do you, how does one monetize something like that? I mean, obviously you're, you have an, a different type of purpose. You want to go out and embark and change, but that doesn't happen without proper funding. And I'm, I'm positive you don't have an unlimited budget that you're providing resources for these companies. Yeah. How do they how do they turn around and generate revenue from stuff like this? Is there's so, got to be a revenue model built in, right? There is one and a very profitable one. One very overlooked thing is that generally if you do good, 
people do well. And so, for example, the people in marketing, they are more efficient, they are more productive. And so we sell the software from marketing to the companies employing those people. And in very few weeks, the results are off the charts. People are happier, people are more productive, people are well-organized. There are no, what we call the skill gap. Like there is only one guy in the factory knowing how to do one thing that is essential to the factory. And so you close those gaps, you make people proud and everything. And so, and so you sell that to the companies and they are incredibly happy to have that. And so it's very important to be able to do business, like hardcore business and show return investment and, and be really like metric driven in doing that and trying to do some good in the process also. And so, for example, the, the, guy, uh, the guy who is creating that waste, uh, it's called a sustainable marketplace, the tech term, nobody gives a damn, but the guy who does that, who does that in, on average, a waste could be sold for four times the monetary value that it has in the current waste recycling system. Ah, yes. Well, that's and yeah, and that's definitely that's, a revenue model that works. Yeah. So welcome to a revenue model that works. And so <laughs> we are we are always on the look for ways to change the world, but also have a very strong economic model to do both at the same time. But because when we when you do that, everybody wants to do it because there's no downside and you get incredible traction. You get the best people in the world wanting to work with you because nobody wants to work for something that has no, no meaning anymore. And so there is that kind of flywheel that gets on and takes off. It's a big difference when you work for a company that's not only paying you well, taking care of you, the culture's great, but you're actually behind the mission that's, that's, uh, that the company is, that values. It makes uh, a big difference. People, you probably don't have any turnover. You probably have uh, recruiting problems where you have too many people <laughs> applying for that type of position and job, which is which is great problem to have uh, in business. Renan, uh, Renan you've, you've uh, brought some great value today, sharing a lot about what you're doing with technology and different opportunities that are out there. If people want to reach out to you, find out more about uh, maybe developing one of their ideas or finding out just more about the opportunities that are available. How can they do that? So you can uh, go to our website, oss.ventures, and you can drop me an email, renan at oss.ventures. Perfect. There it is right there, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, there it is. Right? Renan at ossventures.com. Actually, at ossventures.ventures. Exactly. So, uh, yep, there it is on the screen. Renan, thank you very much for coming on the program today. Ladies and gentlemen, like you, so like you said, like there's a passion behind what you do. There's a vision behind it. And sometimes you might not see that, that revenue model, but there are people out there who can help you take that dream and that idea and turn it into something that actually makes a difference and put some money in the pocket to fund this entire mission. So it's, it's an opportunity that's out there. One more time, oss.ventures uh, is the website. And uh, thank you very much for being on the show today, ladies and gentlemen. We'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace. And we're out. Thank you. It's over. Go home. Is your business in need of marketing? Try starting a podcast. But not just any podcast. Podcast like a pro. We can show you how to take your business from being invisible to becoming a brand people trust. Go to www.businessbros.biz to get started today.